Good morning. Good morning. Praise the Lord. We are here. Woo. Today, well, last week was our last day in Oak Leaf. We're our last time going through the uh, elevators and the last time, you know, logging around all of the equipments and setting up chairs and taking down chairs. So all of those were the last. And today, the November 1st is our first day, our first opportunity to glorify the Lord here on a Sunday morning. And I'm so looking forward to all of what the Lord will do in this property that he has blessed us with. So we, we praise the Lord for what he is doing. And I'm excited this morning to share God's word with you. Um, as you all know, this, this church, it began in our living room, my wife and I. And, and here we are, and this is just an extension, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, the Lord's living room. And that's what we want it to be. You know, as you can see, it's, it's nice and it's homey um, because this is where we're going to share life together as we open God's word and, and as we be able to fellowship with one another and encourage one another and, and carry each other's burden. And that, that's what we're called to do. And, and so this, you know, most people will call it a sanctuary, but I just want to remind you, this is a, a living room. This is where we come to live, live for the Lord and glorify him. Amen. And so this morning, we are studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. This is our first chapter, our first lesson in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, for those of you who don't know or are not familiar with Calvary Chapel, uh, what we do, we take the time to go through God's, the entirety of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. And so usually on Sunday mornings, we will spend time studying through the New Testament. On Wednesdays, we are going through the Old Testament uh, right now, we're uh, studying through the book of, of Psalms, and it's a wonderful time um, just hearing the hearts of, for example, David, with all of the things that he's going through, and as uh, David continues to move from his feelings into, Lord, you are good, and how you deliver. And so, again, that's on Wednesdays we do that, but uh, today we, again, start in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to make our ways, it's, it's you know, uh, several chapters, so we'll probably be here for a couple months studying God's Word, but I can tell you what, you'll be enriched as, we, as you get a full understanding of God's Word. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, if you need a Bible, if you simply raise your hand, uh, one of the ushers will get your Bible. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you may keep that as our gift to you, that you may study God's Word uh, at, on your uh, own time at home. Um, and so, everyone has a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, if you would join with me in prayer. Father, how blessed we are that you, Lord, have blessed us with this property. As we have been just faithful, Lord, and just uh, serving you, and faithful in going through your word, Lord, you have been behind the scenes doing uh, what you do best, Lord, uh, working things out, Lord, and blessing your children. And so, Lord, in return, we bless you. And we set our si aside this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning, Lord, uh, just to, to come and sit at your feet, Lord, and open your word, Lord, so your word can get into us. So bless us, Lord. Bless our time and bless even the time of fellowship afterwards. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I start, I just want to um, just, again, just welcome everyone and, uh, you know, just, again, just thanking God for what he has done. Um, you know, if, again, if you're not familiar with Calvary Chapel, I just want to just remind us of, of who we are, where we come from, because, again, as we start in this new uh, chapter in life, uh, sometimes it's good to look behind, to look forward. And, and this ministry, even though it started several years ago, it, this ministry really started uh, back in the 70s, uh, really late 60s. That was before my time, where God has put on a, a, the heart of Pastor Chuck Smith to reach out to the hippies, the people that were rejected by the world, people that were looking for love in all the wrong places, strung out on drugs. And, and out of that ministry, well, today we have over 1,700 Calvary chapels across the U.S. and around the world. And it's just the move of God's Spirit. And, and what the Lord really put on Chuck's uh, heart is, is, again, what we're doing. We, we're not about hype. We're not about, you know, um, you know the five, four and five collections. We're not doing all of those things. All we're going to do is study God's Word. And um, it's a wonderful thing. As you simply read God's Word, you just see, wow, Lord, you're teaching me and you're changing me. You're transforming me. And as we look this morning at 1 Corinthians, we are going to look at a church that, well, in a sense, it was the worst of the worst. It was a worldly church. It was a carnal church. It was a messed up church. And as we look at this church, hopefully we can look at our own lives, at our own body here and say, eh, let's not make the same mistakes. And again, I believe God, by his Holy Spirit, will minister to us. And so, 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church, if you're not familiar with, with, with where it's at, uh, if you know where Greece is, well, it's, it's that peninsula down there. And this church back then, when Paul wrote to this church, it was, well, it was a famous church, not because of all the good that they did, but because of all of the bad that they did. Uh, because of all of the, the things that were just wrong in the church. They, this was a church that was a divided church. They were fighting and, and dividing amongst themselves. They had the wrong concept of the gospel. Man, they were, uh, you know, avoiding the cross. You know, God forbid that you offend someone. So let's not talk about the cross. It's offensive. And, and Paul would deal with that. Uh, they had the wrong concept of ministers. They were worshiping these guys. Oh, this Paul and this Apollos. And, and they were worshiping these guys and they were dividing over these guys that they were following. And listen, they had the wrong concept of Christianity. They, they thought Christianity means that you live life rich and you prosper. And, and that's what they limited to. And when you look at what Paul would say, I believe in chapter 3, he said, man, you don't know what I'm going through. Uh, you, you're, you have the wrong concept, and so he's going to correct that. Uh, they were suing one another. As Christians, we're not supposed to be suing one another. We're supposed to work things out, not going and taking our dirty laundry to the world and say, hey, can you help fix us? And, and by the way, I need some money while I'm doing that. They, he had to address that. And, and he had to address sexual immorality. Uh, this, this church, because of the world that they live in and the, the city that they lived in, well, there was a lot of sexual immorality going on, and it seeped into the church 
so bad that, well, there was a guy in the church, we will see in chapter 5, that, well, he was sleeping around with his dad's wife. And the church was saying, wow, whoa, that, that is... That is corruption. That is, that is the lowest of lows. But yet again, this is what was going on in the church. And so Paul is writing this letter to say, listen, guys, I love you, but man, you need a spiritual whooping. You know, you can't go on doing the things that you're doing. This church was messed up. And the reason they were messed up again is because they were a worldly church and they were a carnal church. In other words, they wanted to mix Christianity with the things of this world. And we see this very same thing happening today where we, we, want, we want us, you know, have the world like us and love us. And so we're compromising and we're putting away the things of the word, which is true and which is, is righteous and which is required of the, of, from the Lord. And we're trying to mix it with the world so the world can accept us and love us. And so Paul is writing this letter to address them. So let's get into chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, Paul starts with a greeting, as he normally do in his letters. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, Paul opens this letter, as he normally do again, typical greeting. Uh, you know, he opens with this letter, Paul, called to be an uh, apostle. Notice the words italicized to be. Um, you know, is really Paul called an apostle. Is a declaration of what God uh, has called Paul to be. He is an apostle. Now, that word apostle, if you want to circle it and put next to it, is a messenger sent with a message. Someone sent with a message. More specifically, Paul was sent with a message of the gospel. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, he lived like a man, he lived a sinless, perfect life. He died for our sins, was buried, and listen, he was raised from the dead. Listen, there's no religious person, there's no guru around this world that has ever done that. Raised from the dead. But Jesus predicted it, predicted that it will happen, and it happened, just as he said. And that gives us hope. Listen, you may be afraid of dying, but if you're in Christ, there's no fear of death. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead and he said, hey, I'm going to my father's house. And when I come back, those who are mine, who put their trust in me, listen, will go with him to be in heaven. So Paul is a message of this glorious gospel. And notice it says that he was called through the will of God. He was called through the will of God. Notice this is so important because, again, Paul, did not, he did not become an apostle because he thought it was a good idea. It was God who called him. Just like, well, for all of us who are Christians, we are called into Christianity. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're called to be a Sunday school teacher. If you're a pastor, whatever the, the, the calling is, you are called by God. By the way, that's why we don't even have a membership in our church. Because why? Well, I have no right to say who God wants in this church and who he doesn't want. I visited a couple of churches where they, uh, you know, on that, that particular day, they were saying, well, oh, who all wants this person to be a member of the church? I. Oh, who am I? Who are we to determine who is in God's church? Listen, God is the one who calls people to be in ministry it's not a hobby. It's not a, a career. It's not, it's not a great idea. It's a calling. Now, God chose 
Paul to be an apostle. And, and I want to, before we go any further, I want to mention, how do we know if we're called? If you, you're called to do some, something in ministry, whether it's Sunday school or, or in the worship team, how do you know if you're called? Well, I usually try to encourage people, well, sometimes it's just a burden you may have. You, know, you may have a burden for the lost. You have a heart of evangelists. You, you have a, a burden for the homeless or, or the needy. And, and you just have this, this, this thing that just nags you. I want to I wanna do something about it. And listen, you often will notice that's your calling. Or you may just show up here and say, hey, I want to serve. And now you're serving. And what you will find is that people will say, man, you just have this gift in. You have this gifting on your life. Do you mind coming over here and serving in this ministry? And then you find yourself just blossoming as God's hand is upon you, as his Holy Spirit is leading you. And now you're saying, man, I am walking in my calling. And Paul, again, was called in verse 2. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are, in each place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, Paul said to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The church of God, which is at Corinth. You see, the church of God, the church is not a building. We are here in this building. We call it a church, but it's not a building. The church is not stucco and steel, not, not, not brick and mortar. It, it is a people. And the church, well, the church can meet anywhere. I've shared this before that some people, they choose to meet in a school uh, and hold church service there. Some people, I've heard people meet in, in a fitness center. I've heard people meet in, in a nightclub with a you know, pole in the back, but oh my, you know. <laughs> and some people, well, my pastor in Fort Lauderdale, they met in a funeral home. And where was the kids? Well, they were in the back room with the caskets, and there were dead people back there. And so you can imagine how fun Sunday school was. <laughs> but it doesn't matter where you, where you meet, as long as, listen, two or more gathered in his name. And that's why, again, this church was started in our living room. Just a couple of us there studying God's word, and God, you know, continues to do his work, do what he does, and... and, and you know, works in our lives. Again, so the church is at Corinth. And notice he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Sanctified and called to be what? Saints. Now, again, if you take a note, you might want to circle that word. Sanctified, it means to set apart or declare holy. That word saint, it means, well, means saints. I think we all know what a saint is. Oh, that person is perfect. No, not really. But it's what God calls us. He calls us saints. Listen, there's a process in a certain denomination um, that says, well, if you're going to be called a saint, you have to have a miracle assigned to your name. You have to do a whole lot of good deeds. And when you die a certain amount of time, they will vote you, uh, vote for you and, and declare you a saint. Listen, Jesus Christ calls us a saint to be, to be saints now. You're a saint. I'm a saint. You can call me Saint Allen. Forget the pastor. I'm Saint Allen, you know. We are saints in Jesus Christ. Listen, 
This is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. You know that. In all religions, religion is man's effort to reach God and, and, and man's effort to make himself something. Well, he's trying to uh, uh, you know, aspire to be a saint, to be a perfect human being. And every effort that we try, that man can try, will fall in failure. It's kind of like, well, if you have a heart problem, and, and you know you need heart surgery, you don't take up a scalpel and say, watch out, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix myself. You're crazy if you're going to do that. You won't be able to. But what do we do as Christ, in Christianity? Well, we simply lay ourselves on the altar of Christ and say, Lord, you fix me. You operate. I have a bad heart. I need your heart. I need your blood flowing through me. You do the operation. And guess what? God will do it. And so he calls us saints. And, you know, when, when you look at our lives as Christians, I, I'm not the person I used to be. The Lord has changed me. You are not the person, if you are walking with the Lord, you're not the same person. The Lord changes you. You know, again, when I look at this building, it's such an awesome testimony of, uh, or a picture of what God does. I, I, my plan, if I had enough time, was to put some pictures of the before and after. You're sitting in a warehouse. It's the warehouse church. And this building, well, here it had some old machines and old walls hanging out. It had, you know, an old Jeep in here and, and grease and grime. And now people walk in and say, wow, wow, this looks nice. It, 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 it wasn't always like that. It took some work. It took some effort. And understand, that is what the Lord does to his people. When you just simply give your life to the Lord and your friends come along and say, Wow, what happened to you? Well, God got a hold of me, and he's changing me. I'm not there yet, but I know what I will be. The Bible says that when, we, when the Lord reveals himself, we know that we will be like him, that we'll be like Christ. Again, it's not you trying to fix yourself. If you try, you're going to fail. But if you simply just allow, Lord, I surrender to you, I can promise you this, you will never be the same and so God is the one that calls us to be saints. He declares us to be saints. And by the way, let me just add this. This is not, I won't charge you extra for this. But people, let's, let's be careful of how we, well, you see, sometimes as in a marriage relationship, we, wives, wives will say, well, that man, he's no good. Or the husband will say, well, you know, she is so lazy. She don't do anything around here. Or the kids, well, they will never amount to anything. You're just like your dad. Listen, you want someone to be changed? Listen, you, you need to encourage them through the words. Because our words, the Bible says, have this power of life and death. It's not the name it, claim it, you know, kind of deal I'm talking about. It's, well, you see, when you, the Bible says this. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith comes by hearing. Anything you hear, you start believing it. So if you're telling your children you will never amount to anything, guess what? They will never amount to anything. If you're calling your wife lazy, guess what? She would be like, well, you would pick up your own stuff, you know? But understand, if we... Well, I'll use this example. When I cut my hair and I put on a nice outfit and my wife said, wow, mm, you look good. Guess what? The next time I'm going to want to cut my hair again and look good. 
But if she said, man, you just look like a bum. <laughs> well, I'm going to be your bum. We have to use our words wisely. Paul is doing this very thing. He knows he's looking at this corrupt church as messed up as they are. And he says, you're saints, man. I am? Yeah, you are. Paul is not looking at them in their current condition, even though he's going to address their condition. He's looking at them in the finished product, what they will be when Christ returns. And so he says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we are saints because of the grace of God. It's not because of anything that we have done. It's not that, that we, did, we deserve it. Matter of fact, that's what grace is. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. If God gives us what we deserve, you know what we'll get? Hell and death. That's what I deserve. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I deserve. But the grace of God says, you know what? I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you a blessing. I'm going to give you eternal life. God don't owe us anything, but he does it because of his goodness. So once you receive the grace of God, listen, Paul says grace and peace. It's only then you can experience the peace of God. You cannot experience true peace without first first knowing God's grace. See, peace comes from God. And so often people are looking in the world and trying to find peace and happiness by looking into the world. But peace comes from knowing Jesus Christ. He gives us peace. It's a gift. And I've noticed and I've seen people, and even in my own life, there are times when I should be messed up, when I should be depressed, when I should... But understand, there's a peace in my life. God gives me a peace. Why? Where did that peace come from? Here you go, Alan. You should be worried, but don't worry about it. I'll give you my peace. All right, Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Why? Because, again, I know who I am in Christ. He gives me his peace. Now, Paul continues in verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be, blessed, uh, be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul says, I thank God concerning you. I thank God always concerning you. Again, even though this church was a corrupt church, Paul was grateful because they at least knew the Lord Jesus. I'm going to say this. Do you know it's better to be a carnal Christian than to be a good sinner? Think about it. You can be a carnal Christian, and, and yes, you're messed up. But man, it's way better than to be a good sinner not knowing Jesus Christ. Because what is the end of those who do not know Christ? Well, we know what the Bible says, that it's hell. I know a lot of people don't want to believe in hell. They don't believe in hell. How can a good God create hell? You know, I don't believe in it. Listen, hell is is real. Jesus spoke about it. And it's a real place. But again, this church was corrupt, but Paul still thanked God for them. And he says that the the Corinthian church was enriched in every way. 
because of the area that Corinth was, well, they were a, a, um, a commerce city where, well, everyone was rolling in the dough. Everyone had a lot of money. But not only that, not only was the church rich financially, well, they also were rich in a sense that they knew a lot of scripture. Paul spent more time in Corinth than any of the church, other churches he planted. And so they knew the scriptures, and listen, they were rich in the spiritual gifts. Listen, these people, they had <clears throat> the gift of prophecy. They had the gift of speaking tongues and interpreting the, the tongues. And they had, they had all kinds of gifts. And we will see Paul will address those things later on. But again, just because they can quote scripture, just because they, they know all of these things and they can operate in the spirit, it doesn't make them right. And people need to hear that just because you're speaking a, a verse, that doesn't make you right. Paul will later on in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 2, he will say, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and, and, not, and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. So they have all of these things. All these, they were rich in these things. But yet they were, in a sense, spiritually bankrupt. And it's a sad case when a Christian that have the richness of God, but yet they're missing it because of, why? Because of worldliness and carnality. So he says in verse 8, God will confirm them to the end that they may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they will be blameless. In other words, all of the things that they are messed up with, they're caught up with, when Jesus returns, God will not see them as for all the things because why? Well, Jesus again paid the penalty for their sin. And they will be blameless. I believe it's first, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says that the, the Lord Jesus will wash his bride, the church, wash us and cleanse us and sanctify us by his word that he may present, him, present to himself a church without blemish. This is the Corinthian church. Oh my goodness, they were messed up. But they're still his bride. We are his bride. And you may be messed up. And you, you may be walking down that, light, that, that road where you know you're not right with the Lord. But listen, don't let that turn you away. Don't let the enemy speak and say, man, you never amount to anything good. Listen, Jesus Christ will complete that work in you. Verse 9 the, he says, God is faithful. Again, God is faithful. He is the one that will make us right before the Father. You know, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul again writes to the church, we can be confident of this very thing, that he who began this work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is faithful. He is faithful. God does not give, us up, give up on us. Even when we give up on ourselves, he, will, he won't give up on us. We have read in, in Romans chapter 8 that for, uh, Paul wrote that, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that type of love? 
Do you understand that type of commitment? We are in, in this world, and uh, Victor had put it this way, we are in a throwaway society. Uh, if your friends, they, they rub you the wrong way, man, I don't need to deal with you. If, if you, you're struggling in marriage, I don't need to stay married. We throw things away. But Jesus won't throw you away. Amen? It's a wonderful thing to know that we have a Savior that loves us and he, he, he reached out to us while we were still sinners. And listen, he made us who we are. And yes, we're going to fall. And that's what his grace is for. His grace is for falling. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. But he's still there. And I, I love the fact, the picture that comes to my mind. When, when he reaches out to you, guess what you're going to see? There are going to be two scars in his hands. Hey, I, I've, I've, I've hung on the cross for you. I will never change my heart towards you. And so Paul in these first couple of verses, spend the time building up this church. Man, you guys are saints. But guess what? He's going to start turning around now. He's going to give them a whipping. How many of you like whippings? We don't like whippings, but God has to give us whippings. Why? Because we're disobedient children. He will tell us over and over, this is what you are to do. And guess what? We do the opposite. And so Paul, again, he lovingly encouraged them. <clears throat> but now in verse 10, he says this, now I plead with you, notice the word he used, I plead with you, I beg of you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by these, excuse me, by those of Cleo's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or what? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, Paul first charge, again, in this long laundry list of things that he's going to deal with, he starts off with this important subject uh, on division. Division in the church. And notice he said, someone from uh, those of Cleo's households were telling on you. They're tattletale. Hey, Paul, let me tell you what's going on. So he, he, they're snitching on them. And so when you think about it, uh, one of the, Jesus' last prayers in uh, John chapter 17, before going to the cross, one of the things he prayed, he said, Father, I pray that these, the, the, my followers... Be one, even as we are one. Jesus and the Father are one, and he's hoping that we as Christians will act and do the same. But these, this church, this Corinthian church, they were fighting and dividing over, well, who, were, who baptized you? Did Paul baptize you? Well, I was baptized by Peter. He's the first pope, you know. And, and they were fighting over, you know, these things, petty things. And understand, this church, while we may look and say, that is crazy. Listen, we do the same thing today. Well, I'm Baptist. Well, I'm Presbyterian. Well, I'm a Calvary Chapelite. Oh, what are we doing? We're dividing. And the Lord is saying, don't do that. Paul is saying, don't do that. You know, I went out witnessing a couple months ago, and I met this guy, and I said, hey, you know, I want to tell you about Jesus. Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, what does that have to do with anything, you know? Is the word um, denomination, it means division. There's the division, and here's this division. Listen, it's not supposed to be like that. 
You know, I shared this a couple of weeks ago on, on a Wednesday night Bible study. I thought it was, it was worth sharing again. Um, this was an article that was written. Um, it's, it's, it's talking about, this was back in 2008, this article was written, but it's talking about a, um, a church that went through 47 splits. Now listen to this. <clears throat> this happened in Centerville, Georgia. A small community church in Centerville has a population of just over 5,000 people. But a total of 48 Presbyterian churches, uh, they also hold the record of the most number of Presbyterian churches in a small town. The high number of churches has to do with the multiple splits that have taken place over the years because of one issue or another. Originally in in 1899, only one Presbyterian church existed, simply known as Centerville Presbyterian Church. With about 20 families, the church was at that time the largest in Centerville area. By 1911, the church has grown to almost 150 members and considerably large church at the time, but a dispute had arisen within the congregation over whether or not the offering should be taken before or after the sermon. Thus, the first split took place with a descendant congregation forming Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church. In 1915, a dispute arose among the members of the Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church over the issue of regulative, uh, regulative principles of worship. It seemed that some members of CRPC liked the idea of having flowers in the sanctuary, while others objected. As a result, CRPC split, and, the, and Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church of Centerville was organized with 25 members. Several more splits took over uh, took place over various issues between 1915 and 1929, and it, it was in 1931 that another dispute arose among the members of the Seventh Presbyterian Reformed Covenantal Church of, of, of Centerville over the issue that no one can seem to remember, nor do any record, re- records indicate. Uh, suffice to say that approximately half of the congregation split away and nine people formed third Westminster Trinity Covenant Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. Again, more splits took place between 1931 and 1975, and a major split took place within the PCUS denomination over the issue of merging with the more liberal PCUSA. At that time, 11... the that that time, 11th Westminster Covenant Presbyterian Church of Centerville voted to remain in the PCUS with the merger 15 members, with the merger, excuse me, 15 members broke off and formed St. John's Presbyterian Church. One week later, St. John's Presbyterian Church over the choice of name, uh, you know, split over the choice of name for the church, uh, several members objected to using the word saint in the name of a reformed church. So in 1975, seven more splits have happened within the most recent occurring this past weekend when a dispute among the members of 2nd, 1st, 9th Westminster Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church over the issue of observing the Lord's Day. The issue in, the, in question was whether or not it was acceptable for someone to check their emails on the Sabbath. Those who objected have now split off and have formed this Presbyterian 
total reform, covenantal, Westminitarian, West Sabbatarian, regulatory, credo, communist, uh, mil- ah, I can't keep up. <laughs> and it says, I think, the guy there, he said, I think we finally got it right now, says Paul Davis, teacher and elder of, and they just broke it down because it's so long, P-T-R-C-W-S-R-C-C-A-P-C-C. And now we have a church with 100% doctrinal purity. So P-T-R-C-W-S-R-C-C-A-P-C-C is hoping to grow and help outreach to the community. Wow. Splits. Division. You know, it's been brought up to my attention that someone don't like the carpet here. Leave by yourself. Lori. <clears throat> I didn't call any name. <laughs> uh, check my email. Listen, we have to be careful. Paul asked this question in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, when we get to heaven, I don't see God standing there and say, what denomination were you in? Baptist? Oh, oh you're Baptist. Okay, you, you go over here. What about you? Presbyterian? Oh, all right, we got the corner for you. And, and you're Calvary Chapel? Oh, I got a special section for you. Right next to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to have division in heaven. Instead, what we're going to do is come and we're celebrate. You made it. I didn't think you were going to make it, Baptist. <laughs> You're not going to do that. We will be loving one another and praising God through Jesus Christ. That is what's going to happen. You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the saints through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's one. We are one body. Now, there's in the body, there's different flavors I've shared this before. Well, you may be, you know, like a certain type of worship music. Uh, some people like hymns. Other people like, you know, uh, contemporary music. Some people like gospel music. And, and that's fine. We all have different flavors. Some people like pastors that shout at them, Come on, I am You know, other people like... Well, if you turn with me in Romans, ah, that's what they like. Everybody have different flavors. And it's okay for us to mingle with each other. But when we start dividing over doctrine, then that becomes the problem. And that's where Paul will take out his whip and, come on, don't do that, Christian. In verse 10, he says, uh, and this is just the, the solution I think Paul is given. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind 
and in the same judgment. You see, Paul gives us three things here. First of all, he says uh, that we are to speak the same things. Speak the same things. In, in Romans chapter 15, we spoke about this in verse 5, where he says, Now may the Lord God of patience and comfort grant to you uh, grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our heart, our, our goal, it should be to speak with one mouth. And, and, and what is we're supposed to be speaking? Well, we're supposed to be glorifying God, praising the Lord. Lord, you saved us. Lord, we thank you. And, and, and that is what we're supposed to be unified in. He also said that we are to, in a sense, end all divisions. Uh, notice he said that there be no division among you. You know, division in the original language is where we get our word schisms, or to rent, to, to tear, or to divide over opinions. Divide over opinions. We need to be willing to lay aside opinions, not divide over them. You know, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs chapter 17, I usually use this in, in, pre, uh, in marriage um, counseling, but uh, it says, in, and I'm reading from the NIV, it says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. You ever notice that when, you, when you're talking to your spouse, as soon as uh, there's a word that's coming out, it's in your mind, and you know if you say it, what's going to happen? Bam! Oh, now comes the fights. The same thing, when we are in the body of Christ, when we know that if I say this very thing, it's going to cause my brother to, to stumble. It's going to cause a fight. But we say it anyway. Listen, end the visions. Be willing to lay aside for the sake of peace. You know what? I'm not going to discuss this doctrine. I'm not going to talk about things that are just going to cause division. I'm not going to do it. And thirdly, Paul says that we are to join in the same mind, <clears throat> joined together in the same mind. Uh, you know, he said, talks about same judgment and same conviction. You know, having one purpose. You know, I think that when we look at each other or look at other churches and we're seeing and checking out what they're doing, we end up fighting. Instead of when we're, when we're focused on what our mission is, then we will unite. You know, there was a pastor... <clears throat> that um, his name is Eric Daniel Harris. He was 37 years old, and, and he pleaded guilty in November of 1996 for arson that burned down their church. According to the federal prosecutors, Harris said he did it because there was division among the church members, and they needed a project to unify them. I love that. He's like, you guys are fighting? Let me give you something to fight for. Let's build a church. And that's what happens when we're so busy looking at each other instead of looking up to the Lord and saying, Lord, who do you want me to minister to? When we're so busy doing this, guess what? Listen to this. Every second, 1.78 people will die. That's 107 deaths per minute, 6,390 deaths per hour, 153,000 deaths per day, 56 million deaths per year and 3.9 billion deaths per average lifetime of 70 years. That means every hour, listen, every, hour, every four hours, a young person between the age of 15 to 24 commits suicide. 14 million Americans are suffering from depression. 
People are turning to drugs and alcohol because they don't have anywhere to turn, anywhere else to turn. Families are being torn apart from divorce. And what is, what is the church doing? Well, I don't like your carpet. I don't like you're using sprinkle instead of dunk. You're reading from the NIV. People are passing from this life. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. We have the light of the world, the gospel, the glorious gospel, the good news that will take people out from hell and translate them into heaven. We have that and we're just fighting over... "Mm." You see, we, we all can agree on this one thing, that people need Jesus. That's what the world needs. The world needs Jesus. It doesn't need another president or another governor. It, doesn't need, it, it just needs Jesus. And if we simply preach Jesus, people's lives will be changed. Listen, if you have given your life to the Lord, you know you are a living testimony of what God can do. And so let's stop bickering. Let's stop pointing the fingers at other churches And say, Lord, use me for your glory. Use me to reach the lost and the hurting, the homeless, those who can't defend themselves. Use me, Lord. And so, Paul is dealing with this first church. I mean, this first issue. Again, there's many more that he will deal with. Um, But I want to close by just reminding us. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will the salt lose its flavor? Well, fight, divide. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of, of men. Isn't that what's happening in the church today? That the world is saying, well, who are you? I don't need you to, to tell me how to live. Because you're just like us. You're, you're not doing anything. You're, you're just arguing and fighting. You're dividing. In verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we are the light of the world. The light that we have is not coming from us. It's coming from the Lord. Just like we have the sun uh, that shines in the day, but man, when it hits, the light hits the moon, guess what? We see that nice, beautiful uh, light. And last night, even as we were driving home, I saw this beautiful moon and the moon have no light of itself. It's reflecting the sun. Just like you and I, we are reflecting the Son of God. And as Jesus said that, you know, Father, let them be one as I am one. As we are one. We are to reflect Jesus Christ, the Father, to this world. That they're unified. In a minute, we're going to Spend time in communion. And, um, well, let me just close this time in prayer. Father, as we open your word again, Lord, and I'm so grateful that we, in a sense, as we start in this building, it's kind of like a fresh start. 
And Lord, you have a word for us, even as we study your word, Lord. You, you speak to us, you minister to us where we are. And Lord, you want what's best for us, and you want to use us, Lord. But you're going to have to deal with things in our lives, Lord, in, in our church. And so, Father, as we just study your word, Lord, I pray that the vision will not be one of those things that we deal with, Lord. As we uh, set our hearts, Lord, to be of one purpose, of one mind, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. If there's any division, Lord, that you will cut it out. If we, anyone here sees or hears of, of, of gossip or, or tearing down of another, Lord, that we will not participate, but, Lord, that we will, we will quench it, we will stop it. So, Lord, put that on our hearts, Lord. Because, Lord, we want to be a right representation to you, to this world. So thank you, Lord, for, again, your word, which is so good. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.